Welcome to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ, hosted by Personal Responsibility Recovery. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's your host, Mark Myers. And welcome to the Recovery Hour. I am Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery and, of course, our our uh, co-host, Dr. Kirby Stewart, the Recovery Hour with Kirby Stewart, and uh, and our special guest tonight, one of our one of our favorite guys, not just to have on the radio, but you know, just to just to hang out with, man, uh, Chris Gates, and who has done a tremendous amount for the recovery communities in Austin. And if you're just joining us or you haven't tuned into our show before, the Recovery Hour is designed to destigmatize addiction, uh, substance use disorders, alcoholism. You know, there's it, it's the leading cause of death uh, between 18 and 45-year-olds, and it just stuns me when I say that every week, but nothing kills more people than addiction, alcoholism, opioids, um, and we don't want to talk about it. We don't, uh, we, we, we talk about it around different ways and things, but it's still so based in shame. Addiction is a mental illness. It is a, it's a disorder. It's a substance use disorder whatever you want to call it, but it's not a moral failing. It's not anything that deserves all this, this shame and guilt and shame for the families. And, you know, families don't want to talk about it. They don't want to embrace, hey, this individual needs help. And, you know, it, it's the elephant in the room, and, and we want to talk about it. We want to, you know, if anybody wants to call in, of course, uh, 836-0590. That's 512, of course, 836-0590. And personal responsibility recovery, of course, News Radio 590 is a, a tremendous partner with us in this to help us do this show um, because we want to talk about addiction and join the conversation if you want to. Um, you know, you, you can't tell it from where you are, but we're all screaming in here like two minutes before we came on the air today because of good old Austin traffic. But uh, we're all here. Dr. Stewart, you made it. <laughs> Thank you. Chris, Chris Thank Gates, you. <laughs> you made it. I'm always shocked when I'm the early one. <laughs> well, you know, that, uh, that that's yeah. kind of unusual for me uh, as well. But, yeah. you know, and, and the, the topics always vary on this show. But, you know, we keep getting back to right now that uh, we're coming up on the holidays, and that's a rough time of year. And it's not just a rough time of year for someone suffering from substance use disorder. But it's a really rough time of year for the family of that individual because you're walking around on eggshells. You don't know how to handle it. You, you, you know, you don't want Uncle Bob falling into the Christmas tree again or just tearing up Christmas, becoming abuse, all the things that we do. And Chris, you've always said have a plan. Patrick Hensley, a, a tremendous friend of ours also, have a plan. And that's a lot of what our show wants to do is talk about the resources that are available in the community. But Dr. Stewart, this time of year, this, the stress responses are up. kind of gets a little squirrely this time of year. And, uh, yeah. it, 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 and I, you know, I think the reason for that is that there are all kinds of expectations. The expectations. Ex- expectations are sky high. You know, I remember the night before Christmas morning when I was growing up, I could never sleep. And, and I wonder, you know, that was because of expectations. <laughs> and uh, our brain is wired in such a way that it's all about predicting what's going to happen. 
And in fact, a lot of addiction is tied up in prediction errors that our brain makes. And I, I love the idea of prediction errors because that's right. A, the, the entire holiday is prediction errors. I don't know that I've ever heard that term. And that's I've been where doing I was heading. That, you got it, Chris. It's like, it's like we're, we're, we're creatures of pattern recognition. It's part of why the, the that's right. uh, species flourished. But like we will see a pattern over and over and over and then tell ourselves, well, but it won't happen this time. <laughs> He's never going to get want to bet. Never going to get loaded and fall face down in the back of this yeah, year. Yeah. Like, that's exactly. Or they're never going to push my button so bad that I want to relapse this year. Right, right. And that's where the, you know, the idea of the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, came out of the addiction field. You know, that didn't, that was never the American Association of Psychiatry uh, that came up with that. But And where addiction is concerned, my definition is, Doing the same thing over and over, knowing what's going to happen, and doing it anyway, and doing it anyway. Exactly, you know what's going to happen. Hope springs eternal. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, and that you're you're shedding light on an important distinction, which is the distinction between, uh, you know, a dumb action, on the one hand, and a habit, and an addiction, an involuntary action. Like, yeah. I may know what it looks like not to do the thing I'm trying to not do. That yeah. doesn't mean I have any ability to actually not do no it. ability, that's no right. choice. You know. That's right. And, you know that that's part of the reason we named our treatment center the Personal Responsibility Recovery is because we want to know, we want to drill down into what it means to be responsible. Right. And I, I've been I've been really I've been talking to a bunch of people in the recovery community, and there are certain portion portions of the recovery community where. They've pulled their sort of Judeo-Christian beliefs into their recovery beliefs. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. and, it, and very much their community, not the 12 steps themselves, but the community is very much based in original sin. Like only God can save you. You are broken. That's right. And, and the shame that that imbues in a lot of cases. And like, yeah. you know, living an active addiction, not ever being able to be the person you believe in your heart you're supposed to be over and over and over again is very shame inducing. So I don't need more of that. No. No, we don't. It, and, and, and even among those folks, they oftentimes come to believe that their recovery is a function of, you know, the hard work they did and then therefore they deserve it. And that it is something that, uh, you know, maybe the next guy and in his inability to achieve it doesn't deserve it. He's just not trying hard enough, you know. Yeah, he's just not trying hard enough. He just can't get it. There's something wrong with him. Yeah. Well, I've always heard that honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness are the three keys. Yeah. you got to be honest that there's a problem. And I guess that's where we start. And, uh, you know, this time of year is, is you know, it's that first step. We, we're powerless over this addiction and, and for, or over alcohol. And for both the, both the uh, addict and the family, right, there's like – because the family has to admit – I work with people all the time and trying to help them understand that the very worst thing you can do is to turn your home into a treatment center with an untrained staff. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, again, yeah. you've hit, the, with, with, you've with hit a, another original. With, with the client who doesn't think he belongs. There. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, Boy, that's a, that's a, man, that's a real picture there. Wow. You know, and just like, you know, you don't want to, so many people come in and out trying to find recovery and then they relapse and the people who've been sober a while go, well, they just 
I guess they just weren't willing. And like, or you didn't give them any tools. Or you didn't give them the tools. <laughs> or they didn't so try hard enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You told them a bunch of stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> and, uh, well, I know we're coming up on our first break already. And, you know, if you're just joining us on the show, 512-836-0590 is the way to join us. And we do kind of laugh and joke about, especially when Chris is here, you can't help but laugh and joke when Chris Gates is in the room. But uh, Dr. Stewart and I do work at Personal Responsibility Recovery, and and we do offer a pretty good path. And, you know, this, this show isn't only about us. It's about the resources that are out in the community. And uh, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com, that's a great link to go to and ask the questions. Uh, a lot of folks don't want to jump on a live talk show radio and so, yeah, my life's burning and uh, need some help. So use the website. Uh, we're going to be back here in just a couple of minutes after a break. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Monday at 6 p.m. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers. And again, back with Dr. Kirby Stewart, Chris Gates, our special guest in. I'm Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery. You know, we are a small 12-bed, considered one of the premier treatment centers for alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, substance use disorder, leading cause of death between 18 and uh, 49-year-olds. And, you know, again, if you're just joining us, that's the purpose of the show. We want to talk about addiction. We want to destigmatize conversations about it. Allow people to, to ask for help. Allow people to understand the resources that are out there. Um, I just, Chris, turn your home into a treatment center with an untrained staff for a client who doesn't want to be possibly one of the funniest things I've that, ever that, heard. That, that could be a setup for failure. It, I mean, that, be. but that's just describing so many times over and over and over well, and it's the what situation, people do. Right, it's yeah. totally the situation where like, I'm trying to save. can't you see I'm trying to save your life? It's like, but you don't know what it's like to be me. Exactly. And we were talking about that. Like the thing that makes recovery possible, I mean, the steps are a necessary tool, but the only thing that makes anybody even willing to approach an, an attempt to recover is seeing somebody that obviously used to be trapped in an addiction. You can tell by the way they talk about it and they're not anymore. And right. that, that bit of identification is hugely That's important, right. you know, and the other, even if my parent is an, an addict in recovery, they're absolutely too close to me to help. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. Exactly. But, we, we do have a call. Uh, I'm going to bring in Mario uh, Mario, you are on with uh, Dr. Stewart, Chris Gates, and myself, Mark. How can we help? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Not bad. That's good to hear. Hey, um, so I kind of had a question. I, I heard the statement talking about um, kind of the uh, the idea of, of total depravity and not being able to move on from an addiction. Can you guys kind of explain that a little bit more? Um, I'm not sure what reference that is. But well, I, I, Mario, what do you yeah. mean by total depravity? That's a strong, strong word. Sorry, I think I uh, maybe I mis misconstrued. I heard a um, I heard someone was saying about the uh, evangelical circles within the um, recovering community, um, and how that it can kind of feel like a lost cause since they can never truly achieve. Uh, I believe that was one of the quotes. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, well, I mean, we were talking about how oftentimes people in the recovery community 
look at people who are trying to get sober and failing and, and putting that blame on them and making and just adding more shame to what they're already feeling and how that's not particularly useful. And yeah. that's that's not, of course, everybody in the recovery oh, community. Yeah. It's just, a, I think, a general statement that... Oh. And the truth is, the addict who is failing will only see the person who's doing that. Exactly. There could be a hundred other people in the room who are trying to support them, and the addict who is failing will only see the person who's thinking badly of them. So that's how that math works, too. And, yeah. and you know, Mario, a lot of the stuff that has been said is we're certainly not responsible for our addiction. We're really not. Uh, it's typically genetic. But there is a point where you are responsible for your recovery. Once you have the education, the tools, the support system, then, then yes, there is some personal responsibility that goes into working a program, working the steps, working into the community. So that, that, I think that's probably what we were talking about. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah that kind of makes sense. I was, I was just kind of curious because I, I was always, uh, you know, as, as I study recovery, um, uh, within my criminal justice degree, I've always found it um, very interesting to find that a lot of the addicts would, uh, as you have said, doctors, they they um, look to a scapegoat and they look to someone else to kind of be like, oh, well, you know what, this person um, isn't recovering, so I don't have to have that responsibility either. Um, and that's kind of a, a very interesting tactic that they use. Um, and then another interesting thing, too, is that you find that a lot of them use behavior modification. Um I think, as the doctor pointed out, that um, even though you can bring these lo- a lot of these people to a treatment, um, there isn't really any true change within their heart. They kind of just continuously behavior modify. Um, and this could even go into, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm cured. Um, I've behavior modified into a new addiction or something that isn't as lethal, but it's, um, you know, this is what I'm about. And I think that was kind of what maybe I was kind of wondering about is since the evangelical circles kind of challenge that where it's like okay well well you know uh johnny you can't go and just behavior modify out of alcoholism you actually have to uh repent and believe in the gospel and and move on from that um and actually die uh to the sin of, of alcoholism you can't just simply say hey i, I you know i've changed it that way so I, that that was the you know my only question i just thought okay. was a, a, i an i don't I, I i don't think that's quite the direction that we meant to go but are. but there we are. Well, uh, no, yeah, I, and Mario, I, I appreciate the call. I think Dr. Stewart's going to respond to that if, if you continue to listen. You... Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, was, I was just going to acknowledge that Mario's insights are, to me, they're right on the money. I mean, to me, the, the conversation that we're having right now really has to do with what is the most effective motivator of an individual who's truly seeking recovery. And pointing the finger and blaming and shaming has been shown over and over and over again to not work. Does not. And in spite of the success of the TV show, fearing people into recovery doesn't really work either. No. Scared straight is, you know, it's a kind of a sweet being afraid to go back into my addiction will keep me sober for a minute. Yeah, exactly. But before long, I have to stop being afraid of going back where I came from and start being excited about where I'm going. Exactly. Got to look on to where you're going. That's that's the whole deal. And that's why we were talking earlier, Chris, you and I were uh, summarizing the process. you, You identify what you want, and then you integrate it. And that's the process. And that, by the way, is the same 
intellectual challenge that a that a toddler has as it's developing psychologically is you identify what's working and you integrate it and that's the process of growth and development it's the same thing that happens in recovery yeah and you know there it's trying to learn what things i'm capable of doing through a force of will and what things no amount of force of will is actually going to accomplish oh that and yeah and that's graduate energies. school <laughs> i was telling some guys last week it's like you know, admitting that I cannot stop drinking and using on, under my or control how much I use once I start is like dunking a basketball and learning to stop being such a jerk all the time is like playing the guitar. Like I'm never going to dunk a basketball on my own, but if yeah. I spend enough time in a room with a guitar, I could probably make it. Yeah, play. very good. And, you know, and I think that's also reflecting a di a, the distinction between a bad habit and an addiction. Right. Yeah. It's like I just I can't. And, you know, I had a guy that was struggling with understanding this concept because he thought we were talking about surrender a minute ago. And he talked he thought that surrender meant just sitting down. And I told him, no, no, no. It's like we're going to go back to the basketball analogy. Like you have to dunk a basketball and you've been trying to dunk that ball for like five years and failing every time. Uh -huh. The power you need, the higher power or God or whatever, whatever. it is, uh -huh. you know, those little trampolines that the mascots used to, to dunk basketballs <laughs> yeah, that's my higher that's power <laughs> right but 85 percent of that dunk is still me i gotta run yeah i gotta jump i gotta hit my head on the backboard a bunch of times yeah and keep trying without the trampoline i'll never do it but, but 85 percent of, of it's still me yeah you know i love that analogy it's very good. So the surrender is admitting that you need the trampoline. Right. And admitting, admitting that it's help. not going to work for a while. <laughs> and I'm going right. to keep missing until I, get, until I figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. That's well said. I like that. I know that the steps are set up and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a make no, uh, no secret that I'm part of a 12-step community in Austin. Um, and that's what has worked well for me. Chris, I love how you break them down. Uh, we use your uh, we use your curriculum at the at the treatment center, uh, mechanics of spirituality, but it is based on a transformation. It's based on a spiritual acceptance, based on accepting that spiritual help, the connections help, the the fact that we can't do it alone. We're powerless by ourselves to do anything over this. I, I believe that with all my heart. And it's it's an analogy that people understand at a more intrinsic level, I think, than maybe they did for a while. Because like, everybody knows that if they have to figure out how to do something, what's the best way to do that? Google and YouTube. Because <laughs> the whole world is full of people who already know how to do this thing I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. And uh, I don't have to figure it out by myself. And this figuring out how to live a life without drugs and alcohol. I don't have to figure that out by myself either. No. I just no. have to be willing to go around some people who seem to have already figured it out and start asking them what yeah, the heck they're that's doing. what I was going to say. Even a YouTube video, the value is that you're watching as you're hearing how it's supposed to be done so that you, you have something you can locate and then integrate. It's just like uh, somebody... Uh, uh, responding to a recovery coach or a counselor who's indicating the way out of but out of addiction. The recovery is very much like I just watched a video about uh, changing the brakes 
the brake pads and rotors on my car. Uh, what I took away from the video is I, I'm not going to do Whoa, that. Well, I would never but, uh, do that. <laughs> I used to do it. My job is no longer to fix my car. It's to pay someone to fix my car. Yeah. But but the whole thing is I can watch the video and go, oh, I see how that's done. But if I don't go outside and start turning some wrenches, the car still doesn't have brakes. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I need to watch how people are, what's working in their recovery and what's not. But then I need to go actually take the action and do it myself and gain that experience. Yeah. And the ability to take that action, the ability to or the make willingness. that decision, yeah. the willingness or, or the ability, the willingness, the ability. Sometimes that's also a lost choice that it takes some family members, some other people, some friends. There's that moment of clarity that comes, but uh, we have to get to that moment of clarity that where someone asks for help. And when they do ask for help, we have to have a plan. We're going to talk about that plan when we come here in just a minute. Uh, 836-512, of course, 836-0590. We'll be back here right after the news. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Monday at 6 p.m. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers. And, of course, the Recovery Hour from Personal Responsibility Recovery with... Myself, Mark Myers, and, uh, of course, Dr. Kirby Stewart, and uh, our special guest, Chris Gates. We've been uh, been having a little bit of fun talking about recovery, talking about the kind of the insanity of it. And I don't want to say making light of it, but, you know, if you can't, uh, if you can't embrace insanity with a tiny bit of humor, um, addiction. Well, well, you mean the insanity of what exists before recovery. Before recovery, and my wife yes. says my autobiography it needs to be called sure it's funny now <laughs> that, that works it's I, funny I, yeah after the effect yeah, nobody I, died nobody so well it's funny yeah <laughs> the reality though substance use disorder if you're just joining our show personal responsibility recovery and news radio 590 puts this show on every monday between six and seven it's to destigmatize addiction it's to have real conversations about it identify resources in the community personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. Use that website. Um, we are a wealth of resources for both public and private. Uh, we, of course, are one of the premier treatment centers out for residential treatment. And it's not just about us, though. It's about addiction. It's about seeking help. And all of the things we've been talking about today, it gets down to, at some point, there has to be an admission. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That that moment of clarity, I guess, Doctor yeah, Stewart. I, there, there yeah, has I, to be a place to start. I think Just you start. were looking for the term recognition. Surrender, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, the the thing is, is that if you're struggling with addiction and you don't think that you're struggling with addiction, you may not recognize that you need help. Yet, if someone close to you, whom you trust, suggests to you that you need help, you might, you might listen. And that's actually what happened to me. That's why I'm bringing it up right now. Uh, so there is, a, there is a recognition that escapes the negative of an accusation. There's a way of recognizing that someone in your life needs needs some help and th- the point i'm making is that addiction by definition requires help 
if if it's an addiction you're you're not going to work it out on your own if it's a bad habit yeah maybe you can work it out and on even your then, own you know maybe like i think probably 20% of the people who end up seeking addiction treatment help yeah. aren't really addicts they are people who are using way too much in a culture yeah. that allowed them to use way too much. That's what I'm calling a bad habit. And they yeah. definitely needed the separation from lifestyle. But yes. Once they've stopped for a few weeks, getting them becomes much easier. Yeah. And if you're an addict and you've stopped for a few weeks without anything else going on, it does not get better to be you. And that's a great distinction between the, the bad habit and the addiction. I, I, I recognize that as being particularly valuable. The trouble with that is that you don't get to find out you're an addict until you've actually failed and gotten your nose bloodied. and right. A few yeah, times. A few times. Yeah. And there's, there's I, I had a thought and, uh, and it escaped me, so I won't jump in there. Um, <laughs> I, I did a lot of drugs when I was a young man. That happens to me from time to time. And yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, we were directing the comments towards... Uh, as the holidays are coming upon us now, every family, I promise, every family in the greater Austin area has one or more members that, that ought to be considering getting some help. And that help can look a lot of different ways, from a good counselor to address a bad habit, a good marriage counselor, to all the way up to inpatient residential treatment. And yeah. uh, it just depends on... I guess the level of severity is is the true term for it. There's a and it's surprising how often people will decide what level of care they need with you know, no actual training. Right. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. Right. I mean, the family wants to stick you in inpatient treatment because at least they'll feel safe while you're in somewhere. Yeah, for ninety days at least. And that may yeah. be appropriate or it may not. The addict definitely doesn't want to go to inpatient treatment, even if you know they've been coding recently and. <laughs> Right. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's always a good idea to get an assessment by somebody who has some idea what they're looking at. Once again, somebody who's trained in assessing and then, you know, checking, seeing what your resources are and making the best decision you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the important point there is the, the assessment. And when we talk about have a plan, that assessment ought to be part of the plan. And it, and it is towards the the goal of the plan is to work towards at least getting an assessment. So if you're working with a family member who's in denial and you're considering that maybe they have a bigger problem than they realize they have, then you approach them with love and consideration and direct them towards getting some professional help. And quite often, it, that's a good time for the family to seek some guidance. Absolutely. You know, rather yeah. than just pushing and pushing and pushing. Cause, you know. Well, and it, it's not like this is isolated. And I think that's, again, gets back to the, the core part of the, I, I guess, part of this show. We, we want to make these uh, conversations normal. We want to destigmatize asking for help. We, you know, if, if you... If you thought you had, and I always get back to this, but it's a medical condition. It's, it's a brain disorder. It's progressive. Um, if you thought you had skin cancer, at the first hint of it, you're going to seek treatment and do everything you can to get this solved. Same with diabetes. Same with uh, you know so many different diseases that don't have the guilt and shame following it like addiction does. Yeah. 
And addiction, you just want to hide from. You you want to oh I got this. I'm going to work this out. You're, you're, everybody close to you is well, going to. Well, why do you think an individual you? would rather say they have a really bad habit than to say they have an addiction? Because I can control a bad habit. That's Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Because I'm in denial <laughs> that it is an addiction. Well, it's my choice. And I don't even understand what it really means and whether or not I've crossed that line. I don't know because right. I don't have any training either. And if you if you are an addict, the drugs and the alcohol aren't the problem. The problem is functioning in the world. And the drugs and alcohol are the things that we use to help us do that. Right, right up until it destroys our ability to do that. And, and, and uh, the hard part for somebody in addiction, unless they know people who have found recovery, is to believe that because all I knew was Either I'm high and it's a disaster, or I try to get sober and it's so miserable I want to kill myself. And I don't know that there's a third option. And so that's the, the beauty of having getting recovery to be a much more visible component of society is that you know it's an option. And that's a big part of the reason we have this radio show. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of my favorite passages in the literature in the 12-step fellowship that I'm part of um, when we find we can no longer function with or without the use of drugs, because so many times addiction, the drugs are just a symptom. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, drug it's use a, is a symptom the, the of, drugs, the, of the disorder. It's it absolutely not the cause. is. It's not and, the cause. And no. I really feel for the families, right? Because an addict has a support system, whether they want to be sober or, the, or if they, whether they want to use. That they can easily surround themselves Absolutely. with people who want to support them. But the families, by and large, are sitting at home not knowing what to do. You know, the addict goes to treatment for 30 or 60 or 90 days, and the family gets a two-day family week. Right. And they have no idea and no support systems, and it's they don't know who to turn to, you know, and they don't realize they can also go see an addiction therapist. Absolutely. And, uh, they, don't, mm -hmm. they don't know. And so they're very much on their own and trying to manage it on their own. And, and it's the family's shame oftentimes that, where they don't want to reach out for help because the addict's already ashamed, so he doesn't and care who knows. You know, that's one <laughs> yeah. of the things yeah. that, that we actually offer, uh, not to just totally plug us, but it, our, our counselors believe if you don't treat the family, you're not really treating the whole picture. So that—, that it's a yeah, great thing to bring up. It's it's just so important. Nobody is gets it sick on that, in a vacuum. They, yeah. they really don't. The addict is... Uh, yeah, the family learns a lot of fear-based coping mechanisms trying to manage their addict. They really do. They don't, those fear-based coping mechanisms don't go away just because the addict's now sober. Right. And so, yeah, you know, it takes some work we've, on the family's part, too. We've got a call coming in. Someone wants to talk about a food addiction. Um, I'm going to bring Pam. I know about that. Uh, Pam, you're on the air with Mark and, uh, of course, Chris Gates and uh, Dr. Kirby Stewart. How can we help? Well, um, I haven't heard anything about this on your show. I've been listening for several weeks now, and um, I know I have a problem, but I'm trying to find resources for help, and I just, I'm coming up blank with everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pam, we are... To me, we are coming okay. up, I just realized, we are coming up on a break here in about 20 seconds, and I want to address this. May I put you on hold for about a minute, minute and a half, and uh, then come back to sure. this? I'm going to yes, come back to please. you right after the break. And, uh, okay. Okay. And again, 512-836-0590. We'll be right back. 
providing professional opinions, resources, and guidance for addiction treatment every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. The Recovery Hour with Mark Myers. And with Mark Myers and, of course, Dr. Kirby Stewart and our special guest, Chris Gates. You know, right before the uh, break, we were talking to Pam. Pam, we're back. Sorry to put you on hold that long. Thank you. So, Oh, that's okay. Of course, you were uh, talking about, I believe it is a food addiction. Does that sound accurate? Yes. Uh, It's not a certain food or anything. It's just, uh, to me, addiction means you cannot control it. And that is my problem. I cannot control my eating. And I've been dealing with this for years. And like the last time I talked to my doctor, you could just see her kind of roll her eyes. And then she gets out the little booklet about food groups and portion control. And I can't seem to get through to them that that is not the, the problem. You know, I know calories, input and output and, and all that. Even that's With not 100% this, it's just a complete lack of control. Yeah, and and you know, sadly, this is a, a statistic that stuck with me from Dr. Matt Masters. About four percent of all physicians are trained in any type of addiction medicine, in in mm-hmm. compulsivity, and you know, it, it's part of the shame and guilt that goes along with this. I yeah. do not have any resources immediately available to me to pass along to you. I know, Chris, you have some thoughts on this, and Dr. Kirby, you both, or Dr. Stewart, you both have thoughts on this. Food was my first drug of choice. You know, I was a happy kid until the first day of first grade, and then I went to school, and all those other kids were there, and they made me uncomfortable, and I started to eat. And and it wasn't until I was 12 or 13 when I found other drugs to augment the food. But uh, the, the simplest place to start for me is there's a website, um, heartoftexasoa.org. Overeaters? Yeah. Overeaters, Overeaters Anonymous. Anonymous. And, uh, and this is a 12-step program. And the best thing about that is you can go and talk to those people. They more than likely will help you figure out whether what you have is what they have. And if what you have is what they have, they can tell you what they're doing so that they don't have to fight that fight all day every day. Okay. That's where I would yes, start. I, I come from a background of addiction. My father was a, a raging weekend alcoholic. And so I've, I've managed to, I never had the compulsion to want to drink. I've tried it a few times because he seemed to get away with so much. I thought, well, I'm going to try this. You know, nobody's getting in after him. And I would drink and drink. And when you start to get a buzz, and then I would have one more drink, and I would become stone cold sober after that it damn i wish i had that problem <laughs> well we're teasing of so course aggravating because i could it not go be. into anything but uh, i never well, had any i, I, I knew really, better than to get into other drugs i just i would start you know, with the, i would start with that heart of texas oa just okay. if you just search oa austin it'll come up and uh okay. and, and find out where their meetings are and go talk to those people because they can probably point you towards doctors who they know can help. They can point right. you towards treatment centers if they think you need a treatment center. They will know the resources better than we do because that is their fundamental yeah, issue. Yeah, that's a, that's a great piece of advice, Chris. That's a shortcut, uh, Pam, that will get you right to the source. Find it, people it, who've already right. solved that. Yeah. Solved Find this people doing the same thing. And, yep. and that's, that's one addict helping another 
is without parallel mm-hmm. is what is often said in the AA and NA uh, communities, and, and I, I can attest to that, that another addict is what helped me. Um, mm-hmm. So, Pam, check, check those resources out. Um, okay. Thank you for calling in, and uh, we sure yeah, appreciate I, it. And, Pam, I just want to say I empathize with you and appreciate the insight that you have into your own situation. That's uh, well, thank you. pretty uh, courageous of you, actually. It's kind of not noticed because it's socially acceptable, Mm. You know, right. it's, it's killing you slower and hurting yeah. other people less, yes. but it's still miserable. Yeah, and you're the yeah. only one really that that knows what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I've got to let you guys go. My phone is about to go out. So, all right. All right. Thank you, thank so you Pam. Much. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Once again. Well, the twelve step. Somebody who's already solved your problem. It is, yeah. and that's so much in. Um, in line, you know, you can, the residential treatment centers, the, all of the psychiatrists, the counselors, the therapist, we can give you such an amazing kit of tools. We can, we can load your toolbox with every tool that has worked, but I wholeheartedly believe that the 12-step communities are what allows you to continue using those tools. Dr. Stewart, you talk about connection all of the time. I know that yeah. as an addict, the isolation, the despair, the shame, the guilt, all of those things just really controlled my life. And when I got in the rooms of recovery, the 12-step rooms, I met guys like Chris Gates and thought, <laughs> wow, man, I was an amateur. <laughs> you know, Chris, I got to say, Chris, I've said this to Chris before, but I I know there are a lot of people in recovery that are listening to this, and I want to just say that Chris was in the very first 12-step meeting that I ever attended, and uh, you were one of the guys who had what I wanted, and that, that kept me coming back. So, I'm glad I could return the favor that somebody else gave to me when I first walked in. Yeah. And so That's how it works. And that is it. how and it you, works. you got to have the whole picture, right? I mean— Body, mind, spirit. I've got to have a medical doctor who can help me with the fallout of whatever my the physical fallout of my addiction. So important. I've got to have. There are things that well, twelve steps in a twelve step community is just help me deal with my spiritual health. Something I didn't even know existed. No amount of spiritual health is going to fix my body. No amount of spiritual health is going to deal with my trauma or my mood disorder or whatever. I need a trained mental health professional for that. But if I don't take care of my spiritual health, I won't have the, the stamina and the strength of character to deal with those other things either. You know, I th- you're right. And I think the spiritual health, once it start, you're starting to take care of your spiritual health, you're, you're, what you're accomplishing manifests as joy. And so if you're, you're demonstrative of joy to the community at large— then they connect with you from that same platform of joy and it builds upon itself. And that connectivity, I think, is the whole key to recovery. I do too. Yeah. And I've, I've been part of it for more than a minute. And I'm still dear friends with three or four people uh, that were at my first meeting, like you are with Chris. And, They're still uh, alive, huh? A couple of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> we really are getting old. Yeah. 
But yes, there are people, and you know, I, I, by trade, I'm a professional photographer, and I, I had the privilege of photographing a wedding Friday night for a couple that, you know, I was at their first meetings, and they had five years, seven years, I'm not mm. even sure where mm. it is, but to be able to be around that much joy, like you talk about, and to see the families repaired, to see people really living life, really, you know, embracing each other, and and no one causing horrible memories and damage at the wedding, that was pretty wonderful to experience. Yeah, yeah. And that's what recovery is. And, and you know, we all know what addiction is. It's a dark, dark path, and it kills people. No, And nobody chooses it. No. no. And, and we've got about, I don't know, a, cup, a couple of minutes left here. You know, I don't know if Mark, you have Mark, final thoughts Mark there. Mark is great. Every, every time he sees me sit up straight, I'm getting ready to talk. Mark says, well, we got a couple of minutes left. <laughs> I just, you know, you take that real goes, deep breath. I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> Heads up, it's, Doc. It, it's kind of you to say, did you have any final thoughts, Kirby? <laughs> yeah, no, I... Again, I just wanted to acknowledge Pam uh, for her call and and the courage because, Pam, there is somebody else, I promise you, in our listening audience right now who's in the same situation you're in. And they didn't call in, but they will benefit from your call. Absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to say about it is that addiction is about compulsion, compulsivity, and the degree to which you feel compulsive as you engage in the action is the degree to which you have uh, an addiction problem. But most of the time, we don't recognize when we're being compulsive, but I'm going to give you a quick tip and then I'll, I'll shut up. If you take an action in order to reduce anxiety, that's compulsion. Well, Dunce, I, that, that's, that's, what, it that's what I have to say about it. There, you go. there we go. So, yeah. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us tonight. Always As always, love your humor, your your spiritual presence. If anybody is, out there wants to hear more cool about an approach, life. An, an approach to spirituality that doesn't involve believing in anything first, uh, bigcoollife.com. Bigcoollife.com. Very we good. are off the air here in about five minutes. I mean, five, five seconds, three. You know what? We're, we're gone. See All you right. next week.